This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. You know, one of the lessons that we hear a lot, and is something that uh, is very basically basic in principles and doctrine, things such as that, but that is the most important question that we can ask, and that question is, what must I do to be saved? Those on the day of Pentecost asked that question in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. After they had heard the sermon there that we have recorded by Peter, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The Philippian jailer asked that same question over in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. After the earthquake and Paul and Silas being there in prison, the earthquake and all the prisoners were loosed. Well, in verse 30, the Philippian jailer there says, or it says there, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, that is the most important question that we can ask. And again, it is a simple question but it has eternal consequences. So we might ask ourselves, have I asked that question? Am I saved? Well, how can we be saved? Well, we have to first rely on God. God had to do his part in order for us to have salvation. And God did his part. You know, John 3.16, again, very well-known verse there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God created the world, human beings, humankind, of course, everything else that is in it as well. But we are the ones that are that God pays special attention to. You know, you go to Psalm 8 and look what the psalmist declared there. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the adventure. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So we look at David's process, you know, as he looks at God there, and he looks at God's creation. All of the marvelous things all the galaxies, all the stars, all the animals, and so forth, and yet God sent his son to die for humankind. Because we have that immortal soul, and our immortal soul needs salvation. And God sent Jesus into the world so that we can have that opportunity for salvation. And as we look at Jesus himself, he gave himself for us. In John chapter 15, look at verses 13 and 14. John 15, 13 and 14. Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. 
Jesus gave himself. He didn't have to. You look over whenever Jesus was in the garden. And there while Judas had come to betray the Lord. In verse 50, Jesus said unto him, Judas, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For they, all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? You see, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He had to for us, but he didn't have to die, but he did it for us. He could have called those 12 legions of angels and this world could have been destroyed, but he didn't do that. As John 3.16 said, God so loved the world. That's that agape love, that self-sacrificial love that no matter what it costs self, do it for the betterment of others. And that's what God did. In John chapter 10, look at verses 17 and 18. John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, he allowed himself to go. Because as he said here in verse 18, no man taketh it from me. There's no one on this earth that could have taken Jesus' life if he, did, if he did not allow it to happen. And yet, he did. In Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 5. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It says there, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus shed his blood so that we can have that opportunity for eternal life. And God saves us by his mercy. You know, mercy is defined as not giving us what we deserve. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says, The wages of sin is death. All who sin, their wages, their payment, our payment, is to be death, spiritual death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. But then you look at the last part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. He saves us by his mercy. He is merciful to us in that he gave us the opportunity. Look at a few passages concerning that. First look at Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. It says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And then it tells us how. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of regeneration would be baptism. The renewing of the Holy Ghost well that's the revelation of the Holy Spirit 
the word of God that we have written, the word of God that they heard, but we have it written in our Bibles. God saved us by his mercy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, the American Standard says, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't have a dead hope. We have a living hope. And that is because of God's abundant mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 2, chapter 4, or verses 4 and 5. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. So God saves us by his mercy, and we see here in this verse, which is our next point here, God saves us by his grace. For by grace are you saved. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 now, verses 6 through 10. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God saved us by his grace. Now, you'll notice here just a couple of things. First of all, he says, By grace are you saved through faith. And he says, And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. We did nothing to deserve God's grace. God's grace is a gift. Something that he is willing to bestow upon us. Now, keep your marker here in Ephesians, and let's go over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at God's grace there as well. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So God offers his grace. It's a gift that he gives to us, but we have to have access to that grace. And that is through our obedient faith, which is exactly what he was saying here. In verse 8 of Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the channel of the act that we access the grace of God. Now, there are those who try to say that baptism is a work and you cannot work your way into heaven. Well, he does say in Ephesians 2, 9, not of works lest any man should boast. Well, what kind of works are we looking at there? Oh, we're doing all these good things and, and you know, we're going to earn our way into heaven by doing all these good works. Well, you can't do that. Can't do that. Now in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're to be doing the good works. Is baptism a good work? Yes, it is. And that is something that we must do. And we'll, we'll get into that whenever we meet, look into the part of our lesson today on meeting God's conditions. Baptism is a good work that we are to do. And as, as we'll look on later on, 
it has to do, we must be baptized in order to be saved. But let's go to another passage now. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, when we're talking about being saved by God's grace, says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the word also means salvation, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, well, the word propitiation means that he has appeased the wrath of God and the justice of God. But anyway, repeating verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, notice, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So we are saved by God's grace. And the Holy Spirit led the apostles and the inspired men into all truth. Going back to the book of John now, look at John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus there says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That was the promise there that Jesus gave to the apostles. And then in John chapter 16, look at verses 13 and 14. Again, Jesus speaking. He says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So the apostles and then the inspired writers of the New Testament there, and of the old as well, whenever you look at things written there, they're all inspired of God as well. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, there it mentions. But here the New Testament is given again from the Holy Spirit through the pen and the words of the apostles and the inspired men. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, those holy men of God, you could go back and look, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all the different ones. They spake as the Holy Spirit carried them along. That word there that was moved, they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That means as carried on a ship. That's how prophecy came. That's how we have the word of God. Well, God did his part. And you know, even after all that, we can still be lost. Why? Well, go to Acts chapter 16, verse 31 again. Verses 30 and 31. Going back to the account of the Philippian jailer, where he, again, verse 30, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So is belief all there is to it? Well, the Philippian jailer was told to believe, but that's not all he was told. We have to obey the will of the Father and of Christ. 
You know, Jesus over in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 24. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So, as we look here in this passage, what is the thing that must be done in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven? That's doing the will of the Father. That's what he says there in verse 21. Who are the many that will say to Jesus in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and that and that? Those are ones who believed on him. They believed so according to a lot of the denominational world, then they're saved. But that's not what Jesus says. I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus is there showing very plainly that we have to do much more than just believe. And James said the very same thing over in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, Verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. A dead faith cannot get a person into heaven. And in verse 19, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So if all we have to do is believe to be saved, then there's going to be demons in heaven. But that's not the case, is it? So there's more to just belief. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Jesus there says, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? There's another instance, is it not? We must do the will of the Father. We must do the will of Christ. And the will of Christ is the will of the Father and vice versa. Verse 47, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I'll show you whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. We have to do the will of the Father. We have to do the will of Christ. Verse 49, But he that heareth and doeth not. Now you'll notice there it's not he that heareth and believeth not. It's he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So we see there we can still be lost even if we hear and we believe. In Romans chapter 6, look at verse 17. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. In other words, they're not anymore. Because, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So right there, we have to obey. Not just do, but obey. And then we'll also notice Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where it says there, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, not to just all them that believe him but all them that obey him. And in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, 
says there, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned, that would be sincere, love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, notice how, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we must be obedient. In other words, in order to have salvation, there is something that you and I must do to be saved. Now you go to Acts chapter 2, just as a, a verse here to prove that. Acts chapter 2, you know, after Peter had told them what they needed to do in verse 38, and then verse 39, verse 40 says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or crooked generation. There's something we have to do. Well, what is that? We must meet God's conditions. What's the first condition you think we have to meet? Well, the first one is we have to realize we're sinner. You know, we hear the word of God, yeah, but if I don't realize that I'm a sinner, I'm not going to do anything about it. I may realize I'm a sinner and I don't care. But if I realize I'm a sinner and I want to meet God's conditions, then I'm going to do something about it. But anyway, let's go first of all to Psalm 51 verses 1 to 4. Psalm 51 verses 1 to 4. It says there, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. The psalmist there is declaring, I know I am a sinner. What can I do? And in verse 10 he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Also look at verses 10 through 13. We go ahead and read verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And then verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, for thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. What had happened? Well, this is a psalm of David, according to what we see there. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, after he had murdered her husband, done all the lying and all the conniving and all the deceit he had fallen away from God and he wants to be renewed in Luke chapter 15 look at verses 17 and 18 Luke 15 17 and 18 this is the prodigal son it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with this with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He realized that he was in sin, just as the psalmist had realized that as well, and he was going to do something about it. In Luke chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 3, we've already looked at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to realize that. We have sinned and we needed a Savior. In Titus chapter 3, look at verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. 
it says there, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusters and lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul said, we were that way. Who did Paul hate? He hated Christ. He hated the followers of Christ while he was still known as Saul of Tarsus. He wouldn't have held the clothes of those who stoned Stephen if he hadn't. He wouldn't have been going around dragging people and throwing him into prison if he hadn't hated Christianity. But he came to the realization that he was wrong. You look in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says there, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we have to realize that we are sinners, and there are those that refuse to believe they're sinners. There are those out there who believe that they are not sinners. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says there, For... And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There are those, you know, their denominational world is that way. All the other false religions in the world are that way. And they want to believe that way, so God will let them do it. But they're not saved. They're all damned, verse 12 says. They do not believe the truth, and they have pleasure in unrighteousness. And then secondly, once we realize we're sinners, we have to humble ourselves before God before we can have salvation. Look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. He wrote, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord standing upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Prior to that, Isaiah was not ready. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. But then you think about it, that hot coal from off the altar touching his lips. You know, that would hurt. That just shows us that dealing with sin's not easy. And we have to get it out, and it's going to hurt to get it out. But Isaiah, whenever that was done, said, I'm ready to go. Send me, here am I. In John chapter 3, 
or excuse me, Jonah, not John, Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. After he had spent a while in that fish's belly, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, what happened? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. You notice they believed and then they did something. Verse 6, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by a decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That we perish not. What did the Ninevites do there? They believed what Jonah said. They humbled themselves before God. They had to do something in order that Nineveh would not be destroyed. And verse 10 says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So because of their hearing the word of God, their belief, of what Jonah said, and their works, God spared that entire city. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That little phrase means humble in mind. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Where it says, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So, you know, we must humble ourselves before God, but one of our main problems is failing to humble ourselves before God, and that is our pride. We don't like being told we're wrong when we are. We have this pride. We want to look good. I'm going to look at a few verses here. Look at Psalm 10, verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. It says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. American Standard Version says all his thoughts are, There is no God. When we look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17. Proverbs six seventeen. One of the six things that God hates that are an abomination to him. First one mentioned, a proud look. In Proverbs 8, 13. <clears throat> Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride, arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Pride. Chapter 11 here in Proverbs verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In Proverbs 13 verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well advised is wisdom. 
in Proverbs 16:18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. In 1 John 2:16, he mentions there the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The pride of life is one of those worldly things. And you know, we must give up what stands between us and God. No matter what that may be. It may be our pride. It may be our family. It may be my job. It may be my worldly desires. But we must give up what stands between us and God. Go to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at verses 16 to 22. Matthew 19, 16 to 22. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? So what's he asking? What is standing between me and eternal life? What is standing between me and God? Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou will be perfect or complete, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So he's telling the young man, the thing that stands between you and God is your wealth. Well, verse 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, he wasn't willing to give up what stood between him and God. He wasn't willing to give up the things of this earth in order to have eternal life. And then look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Paul wrote there, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? In other words, they are well known. They're, they're spelled out for us here. Adultery. You know, adultery is not just a fling. Adultery is not just things are going bad at home and I need someone, some companionship or whatever. Adultery is sin. Next one, fornication. Adultery is included in that. Premarital sex is included in that. Homosexuality is included in that. Bestiality is included in that. All those things, if they stand between you and God, get rid of them. Uncleanness, lustful, luxurious living is what that word, Greek word there translated means. Lasciviousness. Thayer defines the word translated there, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. The dance would be included in that. And then he says idolatry. Idolatry. We have to get rid of those other gods in our lives. And Paul tells us over in Colossians chapter 3 that in verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Going back to Galatians 
witchcraft, your Wiccans or all that stuff, hatred. Sometimes we like to, oh, we're going to bury the hatchet, but we're going to leave that handle sticking up so we can grab it. Variance, you're being at variance with one another. Emulations, which means jealousy. Wrath, strife, sedition, which means division. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, and reveling. Reveling. The word there means musical procession that includes drinking and dancing. So anybody that tries to say drinking's okay, that is standing between them and God. Dancing's okay, that's standing between them and God. And then he says, and such like. In other words, anything like anything that's just listed here. What about them? of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven. We have to give up worldly living. We have to give up the love of money. We do that. You know, peace in the home may have to be destroyed to be a faithful Christian. A sweetheart may have to be given up a job may have to be quit and find something else. And then we must receive Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. Colossians 2 6. He says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How do we receive Christ? Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Saul of Tarsus there, as he is speaking of, says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's what we need to ask. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Well, going back over to Acts chapter 16. Verse 31 again, through the Philippian jailer, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Okay, we've already seen belief is not enough, but what else? Well, they told him, verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, an indication of repentance, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he, the jailer, had brought them into his house, he sat meet before them rejoiced and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. You see, they were told to believe then they were told what to believe, and the result of that after his baptism was he was called a believer. He was believing there. Well, that's believe and be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, we find repent and be baptized. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. You know what that means? Those that do not gladly receive the word of God are not baptized. Verse continues to say, And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and telling us what to them was there. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as such as should be saved. In Acts chapter 8, 
verses 36 to 38, we see we are to confess and be baptized. Acts 8, 36 to 38. This is talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 36 says, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, we are baptized for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins, as we saw in Acts 2.38. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And then in Acts 22.16, Paul recounting what he had gone through there on the road to Damascus, and while he was in the city of Damascus, says of one Ananias who came to him and said, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Very plainly, sins are washed away in baptism. And I don't know why people don't want to believe that. It must be that they do not want to believe God because God very plainly says that through the scriptures. So have you obeyed Christ according to what the scriptures say or not? God did his part for us and we have to meet God's, uh, God's conditions. We have to realize that we're sinners. We have to humble ourselves before God. We have to give up what stands between us and God. And then we must obey what God has told us to do so that we can have the forgiveness of sins. Because if we fail to meet God's conditions for salvation, we're lost. That is what I must do. That is what you must do in order to be saved is to do what God tells us to do. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.